understand as, as I read God's Word, the portion of Scripture that uh, will be preached today, and as I read, I want to ask you to please ponder these words in your heart. This is, a sec- this is in Colossians chapter 2, I think that's verse 8. Six. Verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you also were circumcised with circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh and by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of the requirement that was against us which was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it Amen. Amen Jay thank you you can be seated Amen. Well, um, today I'm going to try to finish the message. Is this on, Paul? I'm going to try to finish the message I started last week. I was hoping to get through two points last week and maybe finish the third today, but we only got through one last week. But let me, let me catch you up to speed uh, quickly here today. Um, on slide number 12, Sam, is... is, is what talks about the three barriers that barred us from a right standing before God. This is the, these are your three big problems. It's the three big problems that every one of us has. All right? And the first one is that you have a sinful nature. It's the old man, the old you. It's the nature you're born with. Okay, that's the first problem you got. The second problem you and I have is God's law. You say, why is God's law a problem? Look here, God's law is a problem because you've got a sinful nature. <laughs> Amen? Uh, you hate God's law because you can't do it. And then there's a third problem that you have in your standing before God, is, and it's Satan. You, you also have an adversary that excites you, that it motivates you, encourages you to do whatever your sinful nature desires against the law of God. Do you see how these three problems just are, are circular and, and one just feeds into the other? So in order for you and I to have any hope of a relationship with God and a new life, God's got to deal with the old you. 
God's got to give you a new relationship to the law, and God has to disarm your greatest enemy, which is Satan himself. That's a pretty big job, isn't it? That's exactly what Paul is explaining to these Colossian Christians that God did. And these people who were bringing in this error were, were trying to convince them of a system that only solidified them in their old nature, that made them adversarial towards the law of God, and that opened the door wide for Satan to come in and to deceive and discourage them. And Paul is trying to fight that today. So the first point in there was that, and I, I went over this last week, so I'm going to do this quickly, is that the, the way to deal with the sin nature is you've got to be freed from sin itself. Amen? And that's verses 11 through 13a. We do that by receiving new life in Christ. And it's symbolized, first of all, by circumcision. And we see that in your outline. It's symbolized by circumcision in verse number 11. Now, circumcision was the Old Testament sign of, of God's covenant with His people. But this circumcision that is discussed in verse 11 is not physical. It's spiritual. We need something that is, a part, that is us, cut away, removed, and killed in order to have a relationship with God. Are you with me? And uh, this struck me as I was reviewing for this week. Circumcision is death. It's a, de it's a removal of that physical flesh. And, and what happened to that, phys that piece of physical flesh after it was removed? It, it died. It, it has no more. It was removed from that which was alive, and therefore now it is dead. So I put under the circumcision, that is a picture of our death with Christ. And it says right here, Christ did his death. What do you do with something that is dead? What do you do with dead things? You bury them. You bury them, as Paul says, in baptism. And we see that, that this is symbolized also by baptism in verse number 12. So we have the death, our death with Christ. And when we died with Christ on the cross, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Uh, what do we do with a dead person? We were also buried with Christ, and that's symbolized through our baptism. And you remember the big thing of water last week and how that we are in Christ and Christ is in us as a result? Um, we are literally placed into Christ. And the old you, that sin nature that you had, was crucified, dead, and buried. So it's symbolized by our baptism. Um, and then the next one is that we are made alive in Christ, which is the first part of verse 13. There's your resurrection. There's your resurrection. So your first big problem, your first big problem is that you are born, and I am born, with this propensity to sin. You all agree? Jay mentioned Vody Bauckham. As Vody Bauckham is fond of saying... Children are vipers and diapers. They're born in sin, and it doesn't take you too long to see that in a baby. We got to have, there's got to be an answer. And the answer is by welcoming Christ into our life, by repenting and turning away from our sin. When God, which is a, all of that is a gift of God, when this happens, the old man, the old you, that was dead to God and alive to sin, is literally crucified with Christ and buried. And a brand new you 
is resurrected to live a new kind of life. And some of you are taking your cues from a dead man. You're obeying the old you who is dead in the grave and not living according to the new you, which is one with Christ. So what we see here is in this identification with Jesus is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Listen to me, listen to me. Not just of Christ, but of you. Are, are you all getting that this morning? You died with Christ. You were buried with Christ through baptism. Not the water baptism, but the spiritual. What actually happened when, when, when the Holy Spirit pl plunged you into Jesus. And then you were raised to this new glorified life on the inside. That's why Paul says in Romans 7.22, I joyfully concur or agree with the law of God in the inner man. The real me loves God's law and has no problem obeying it. It's the flesh that's the problem. I'm having a hard time with my flesh, and we'll get into that later. But the whole idea is this, death, burial, and resurrection, not just of Jesus, but of you too when you are in him. What happened to Christ happened to you, to me. I cannot tell you how foreign this concept is. It has been lost in the church, and we've paid a very dear price for it. So much to see, your first problem is the old you. God takes care of that. God takes care of that. He brings the old you to a sudden, violent end and buries you in Christ. And when Christ was resurrected, who was resurrected with Christ? Not a, not a, not a, a sort of fixed up you, a brand new you. And some of you just need to start believing that and acting on it. Amen? All right, here's the next thing. Here's your, here's your next problem. So your first problem was the old you. God killed that. <laughs> And gave you a brand new person. Anyone thankful for that? Anyone can praise the Lord for that this morning? That we are new on the inside? Alright, but here's your next problem. You still got the law. The law. God's law. It's still there. Why is the law a problem? Because the law is constantly reminding you of your what? Your sin. But now Paul is going to explain to them that they are, in your second point in the outline, freed from the law. How? By the forgiveness of your sins. Isn't that great news? We're freed from the penalty of the law because all of our sins have been forgiven. So we're going to look at that in the last part of verse 13. I call that chapter 2, verse 13b, and then 14. I think it will come up here on the screen. Look at what it says. Matter of fact, read that first phrase with me. Ready? Begin. He forgave us how much? All our sins. How much of our sins got forgiven, church? All of them. What's that got to do with the law? Everything. Because Christ forgave us of how much of our sin? All of it. What does all mean? All means all, yeah. Elizabeth's dad used to be fond of saying from the pulpit, all means all, and that's all all means. It means every bit of it. Does that mean all your past sins? Yeah? Does that mean your present sins? What about your future sins? It means all of your sins. Every, every, everything we learn today in our D groups. What is sin? It is, it is not doing what God commands. It's His law. We broke His law. And we owe a debt because of that. But Jesus forgave us of all of our sins. 
Now, I don't know if I put this in your outline, but it's good. Verse 14 is the YBH of the last part of 13. What am I saying? I say, He forgave us all our sins. Yeah, but how? Well, He's going to explain that step by step through verse 14. And I love this, how it unpacks here. The first thing we see is that you have a debt, but it's been what? Canceled. That's the first point. Here's, here's, here's how thoroughly, and I'm sorry, I'm trying to slow down. My homiletics, which is your preaching professor, my homiletics professor said, Paul, you do a great job. But he said, you start at a 10 and it leaves you nowhere to build to. <laughs> he said, you come out of the gate with everything you got and you got nowhere to go. And 35 years later, I haven't figured out how to not do that. So, Whew. but it's exciting that he canceled our debt, isn't it? Amen. Man, that's exciting. Look what it says. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. Now that's a little bit of a different version. The New King James says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. What, is that? what does that even mean? What is this written code, this... What does it mean that he wiped out this handwriting of requirements that was against us? Well, literally, this written code in Paul's day referred to a debtor's obligation. Now, check this out. That was written out in the debtor's own handwriting. So if you broke the law or you owed a debt, you would, with your own handwriting, write out an IOU and sign it. And the regulations here refers to a publicly posted obligation. Kind of getting the idea, idea of this? So this is posted publicly. You ever seen that in City Hall? Sometimes you, you owe the city something and they can post it publicly for everyone to see. That's where they got it from. This goes, this goes back a long way. So what is this debt that you and I owed publicly posted for everyone to see. What is this debt? It's a sin debt. You and I were in debt to God's law. I want, you to, I want you to feel that for a minute. We owed God something because we broke his law. Now, when someone breaks one of our laws, which, by the way, are based on God's laws, regardless of how some people feel about that today, Right? When, you, when you take someone else's life, we say you owe a debt to who? Society, right? You, have a, you, you, owe, you owe a debt to society. Um, now, you don't really owe society. You owe the laws that that society is governed by. Are you with me? And we say when someone goes to prison, they serve their time. When it's all done, we say they paid their what? Their debt to society, Right? So we, we, it's the same thing. The law, God's law spells out what we owe to God, God's obligations. Problem is, there are obligations. You and I have defaulted on our terms of agreement with God's law. And we can't, we can't meet it. We can't pay this debt. This debt was against you and stood opposed to you. Oh, but listen, listen. But God, through the power of the cross, canceled that debt by having Christ pay it in your place. Are you with me? Now, that word cancel literally means to blot something out 
or to, in those days to plaster over it. It was first century whiteout. Um, and I like the way Peter O'Brien puts it. He said, God has wiped the slate and given us a fresh start. Isn't that great? Your debt is wiped out and God's given you a fresh start. I don't think, you're, I don't think the reality of this is necessarily connecting with you yet. But I want you to think about how much we owed God. And it was in our own handwriting. And it was public for all to see. And we couldn't pay it. But Christ assumed our debt. Galatians 3.10 says this. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written by the book of the law to do them. We're, we were under a curse. Debt, by the way, how many of you know that debt is a curse? Right? Amen? Debt is a curse. I had a guy one time um, tell me, come up to me, and um, I, I think we were pregnant for Sam, maybe. It was the first kid when we were here. And uh, in the community, he knew me. He didn't attend church here. His father did. Um, and he, he said, I, I hear you guys are pregnant. I said, yeah. He said, I think that's the most irresponsible thing in the world. I said, really? He said, yeah. Do you know how much it costs to raise a kid from birth through, through college? You already have four and you bring another one on? He said, my dad told me what you make at the church. That is absolutely irresponsible, don't you think? And I said, well, I'll answer your question if you answer one of mine. I said, you have credit card debt. He said, what's that got to do with it? I said, answer my question. He said, yeah, I do. I said, well, I don't. And the Bible says that debt is a curse and children are a blessing. I'd rather have my blessing than your curse. Right? We're cursed. Debt's a curse. Um, in fact, this next picture will come up here. I was so thrilled to see this. This is Daniel and Mackenzie in the back there with their kids. You can't really see that sign well, but it, it, this was featured on, y'all heard a guy named Dave Ramsey, the financial guru? This was on Dave's page, and Dave, Dave commented on this. They were featured with Dave's group. Um, in 37 months, these young people have gotten themselves completely out of debt. They had a really nice house. I think, did you have a pool in that first house? Pool? I mean, like, it was a, it was a new family's dream. But God put it on their heart that they needed to be debt-free because debt is a what, church? Curse. Curse. They needed to be out of debt. And they did some crazy stuff. They already had two little kids. They sold that nice big house with the land. And they literally built a tiny house. I think they're sitting on the porch of that tiny. How many square feet is it, Daniel? 960 square feet. So they sold everything. Because they said, we're going to build this small house and we're going to get out of debt. We're going to owe no man anything. Well, of course, as soon as they started to build, Mackenzie informed Daniel that they had a third baby coming. <laughs> right? If you want to make God laugh, make plans. But what that sign says, in 37 months, they're completely debt free. What a blessing that is, right? I mean, and we can look at that and we can, two things, we can be jealous and we can also rejoice, right? And if you're jealous, you need to go do what they did, Amen. We need to live debt-free. But imagine, I asked Daniel this the other day. I said, Daniel, imagine if, if one month in to you getting debt-free, your father-in-law came to you and said, you know what? I love what you guys are doing. And so I've reached out to your creditors and I've paid everything. You're you are debt-free. Now, I want you to imagine if someone would do that to you today. Can you imagine if someone came up to you and said, 
What's, what's your total debt? I, said, I don't know, about $60,000. I'm, I'm going I'm to cut a check today. You're debt free. How would you feel? Seriously, how would you feel? Would you feel great? You feel free, right? It's exactly what God did for us through Christ. And that debt's eternal. The one you have is only going to last as long as you're alive. All right? So we are free. What does that feel like? Well, I think David got it in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, when David said this. Um, Blessed is he whose transgression is what? Forgiven. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David said, man, that is a blessing to be debt free. We had this huge debt and through Jesus Christ, he paid it and it was our debt to the what church? Law. So our debt to the law has been what church? Paid and we're free. Now here's the next thing. It's one thing to be free from your debt. It's another thing to be free from condemnation for your debt. And that's the next thing we see in the last part of verse 14. Through Christ, he took away the law as a condemning force in your life. A condemning force. And that's what he says in the last part of verse 14. Look at this. So we had this handwriting of ordinances. We agreed to it, right? It was our own handwriting. Yep, this is what I owe. By the way, did you know that every time you sin, and you're not in Jesus Christ, you're not a believer, every time you sin, you add to that handwriting in your own life that you owe God's law. And guess who keeps that? Satan. And he's the accuser of the brother. He takes it to God and he said, add another year to their sentence. You with me? But it says this, he, he takes that whole handwriting, he takes it, what does it say? He took it away, nailing it to his cross. Jesus nailed, he took it out of the way. And he nailed it to his cross. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, just jot that reference down. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Look at this, look at this. For you are not under, what's that say, church? Law, but under what? Grace. Grace. Look at Romans 7, 6. But now we have been delivered from the, what church? We've been delivered from the law. The law is no longer a condemning force in our life. How did I get delivered from the law? Look what Paul says. Having what? Died. Something called you died in Christ. We died to what we were held by. And here's the result. So that we should serve, oh, I love this, in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What's that mean? My relationship to the law has changed. Listen, listen. Because what I owed to God in my sinfulness according to the law has been paid, and don't, don't miss this, church, past, present, and what? So, so do you owe anything, any debt to the law if you're in Christ? From here to the day you die, how much do you owe that law? Zero. You're free. What am I free to do? Listen, listen. You're, now you're free to obey it. Because the consequences are gone. Do you get that? You're free to obey in the spirit. The letter kills. Spirit brings life. 
this is great stuff. Romans, stay in Romans. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now, how much condemnation, church? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, look at this, has made me free from the law of sin and death. Here's the new law. Here's the law that we're under now. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And I'm free from the Spirit of sin and death. The law has no more power to condemn you. Check it out. And I'm going to explain why. Here's why. Because to condemn, for the law to condemn you would be double jeopardy. Do you all know what double jeopardy is? That means trying some, someone's committed a crime, they go to court, the court says not guilty. Even if incontrovertible evidence is brought up after that, they can never be retried. Because once the law has spoken, it has spoken. Listen, listen to me, listen to me. <laughs> Jesus took the entirety of our written debt against God and he took it out of the way. It was nailed to the cross with him. Because we were nailed to the cross in and we brought it to him. And the law is no longer a condemning force in our life. For, for, for God to judge us by the law would be double jeopardy. What does that mean, Paul? It means that those who are in Christ are totally forgiven through the work of Christ on the cross. There isn't one thing that you have to pay for. It's all been paid. You are totally debt-free. And, and, and listen to this. Here's what some of you don't understand. And, and, and there are days that I don't understand or, or, or apply this. Is this. God the Father does not hold anything against us. Who are in Christ Jesus. No yeah buts. No asterisks. No condemnation. Do you all remember back in uh, August of 07 when Barry Bonds hit the record home run? Remember that? 756. What was the problem with Bonds' home run? Huh? Juice or, or uh, steroids. So they said, well, maybe... He'll go into the Hall of Fame with that, but there should be a what? An asterisk next to his record. Well, the guy that caught it, and it was Hank Aaron that set that record. He just died of COVID, actually. What does that asterisk mean? It means his record is tainted. And you know, that asterisk idea didn't go away. And the guy that bought the record-setting ball, his name was Mark Echo. And um, he, put a he put a thing out there for fans to vote on what he should do with the ball. Did y'all realize this? And the fans voted for him to brand the ball with an asterisk and then donate it to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Pull that picture up. That's the ball. That's Barry Bonds' ball as it sits in Cooperstown, New York for his record-setting home run with a big old fat asterisk in the middle of it. And everybody that sees that is going to know that he literally set the record 
But really, it was unfair. And some of us have this faulty idea. And we can identify with that. Having an asterisk by our name is something that we all identify with. The scripture talks about the book of life in which the names of every believer is recorded. With all the sins that we have committed in this life, wouldn't you expect that next to your name would be an asterisk? Anyone ever felt like that? Some of you might think too much of yourselves. I don't know. But you know what? In that all-important book, there are no asterisks. They don't belong. Because so great and perfect is our justification through Jesus Christ that in the book of life, there's no asterisk by your name. Because of Christ's atoning work on the cross for you, Listen to this, you and I truly belong in the kingdom of God. Is that a crazy thought this morning? Through nothing you did but what Christ did for us. What do you do with all those asterisks? Where do those asterisks come from? Those asterisks come from the enemy. And you take, them, you take every asterisk to Christ. And when Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. When you take those asterisks to Jesus, he scrapes them off. And he takes that page and he nails it to the cross and that's where it remains. That's where it remains. Y'all feeling the weight of that today? And it will ever be so. That's why when Pilate wrote the title over the cross of Christ, do y'all remember that? And he wrote... Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. Or actually, wrote Jesus, King of the Jews. And he wrote that in three languages. He wrote it in Greek. He wrote it in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Hebrew because that was his jurisdiction over the Jews. Greek because that was the local language of the world. And Latin was just becoming um, in vogue in Rome, so it was written in Latin as well. Do you remember what happened with that? Do you remember the uh, Pharisees? By the way, when, whenever you miss something, the Pharisees are going to remind you of it. Remember the Pharisees and scribes had a serious issue with that? I mean, they wanted Jesus dead, but Pilate sticks this thing up there, and they come to him all angry and said, no, 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 that won't work. Why don't you write, change it and write, he said that he was the king of the Jews. And Anyone remember what Pilate said? What I have written, I have written. Literally what that says is, is there's a, there's, there, there is a superlative on the second written. It listen to this. Literally what it says is, what I have written will always stand. Now why were, what we got to ask ourselves is, why were the, why were the uh, Pharisees so upset about this title? Well, that, but... See, they were into acrostics. Do you all know what an acrostic is? Where you take the first letter of, of each word and, and it makes up another word, right? So if I take L-O-V-E, by the way, fellas, it's Valentine's Day. You can go home and do this. Make, make your wife a letter, L-O-V-E, and L stands for something. Long-suffering, that's what you are to live with me. <laughs> oh, obstinate, that's what I am. Sorry you had to put up with me, right? So all the way on down. 
L-O-V-E, right? So the first, it's an acrostic. Now, we gotta understand what, in Jerusalem, to make, for this to make sense for you, I want, I'm showing you how, how beautiful the totality of our freedom is in Christ and his death to the law in our place. It, Pilate said, hey, what, what I've written is gonna stand forever. What he did is, is he wrote something that was very offensive to the Jews because of the first letter of each of those words. Now you understand that all languages flow towards Jerusalem. Um, so, so all languages east of Jerusalem, like us, are read right to left. All languages west of Jerusalem read left to right. right? So, so um, in Israel, like in, in Asia, everything that side of Israel, Jerusalem is going to read what we would call backwards. So I think there's a, uh, a thing that will come up here on the screen, Sam. Uh, th that is it in Hebrew. All right. So, so remember, we're starting over here on this side. So we're going to read it backwards from what we would read. Um, and so it, it literally says, Jesus, um, it says, Jesus the Christ. I've lost my train of thought here. Um, it's in John chapter. I'm trying to think of what it says, actually. Um, oh, there it is. Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews, right above the top. That's literally what the sign says. And remember, we're reading it backwards. So if you take the first letter of each of those Hebrew words, you see in there underneath, we put them into English. It's literally yad heh vad -he. What is that? <laughs> you ready for this? It's Jehovah. yad heh vad -he. It's the holiest name for the covenant God of Israel. That's why they were so mad. It wasn't what he claimed. It's what that sign said to every Jew that could read it because they were into acrostics. That this is God in human flesh. It's the end of the law for punishment and the beginning of grace and freedom. So your second problem is God's law. You can't keep it. But God sends His Son, very God of very God, and He keeps it for you and then dies in your place and pays the penalty. And you and I are now, listen to this, freed from the law. So, so the old man who couldn't do anything but sin, he takes care of through death, right? Death, burial, resurrection. Circumcision, baptism, and resurrection. Got a, now I got a new man. Problem taken care of. My second problem is the law. I have no desirability to keep it. Jesus dies for all the penalty of the law. And so now we're, we, can, we can serve the law in a brand new way with a brand new spirit, which is the new what? The new man, the new nature. Now, the, now I owe the law how much? Nothing. Because how much of my sins are forgiven, church? Past, present, and future. Now I'm freed from the old man. I got a new man. God took that one out of the way. Now I'm also freed from the penalty of the law. God wiped that out in Jesus Christ. And as Pilate said, what I have said will stand forever. Right, so I'm totally free. I only got one more problem, and and and, and that problem is a someone. And who is that? Satan. Satan. He's my last problem. So that's the last point: is he's free? You're freed from Satan. In verse number fifteen, how are we free? By Christ's defeat of all the spiritual forces of evil. Is that what it says? It really is. Now remember these. Legalists, 
and Gnostics are saying that any, any uh, power, any angelic power, any ion, aeon that they worshipped is, is good because they all bring enlightenment. Doesn't matter if it's a demon or doesn't matter if it's a good angel. They all help us to understand things so, so they're, all, they're all helpful. And they have power over human beings, these fallen angels. They control the world. They're active and present and powerful. Now, there's some truth in that, but there's a lot of error in that. And he's going to explain that to us. Look at verse 15. And having disarmed, underline that in your own Bible, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now what these Gnostics taught is that Jesus was just one of these aeons. One in a line of many. And that he wasn't really the only way, and he wasn't as powerful as people thought. He was just an angel like any other angel. And there's a lot of false religions and cults that still teach that today. But in reality, Paul is really beating up that theology because he says that Jesus, through the cross, disarmed. He took away their, their weapons of these powers and authorities. And then not only that, he made a public spectacle of them because his triumph was so complete on the cross. So let me review something for you here. Number one, you have been freed from sin by receiving new life in Christ, and there's a parenthesis in there, and that is what? Through the death of your old man. You have been freed from sin because the old you is dead, and a new you, who is one with God through the Holy Spirit, one with Christ, has been risen in his place, and, and as a result of that, your relationship to sin is over. You have the power to not sin. Number two, you've been freed from the law by the total forgiveness of your sin debt. Total forgiveness of your sin debt. And now you don't owe the law anything, and nor will you ever, because your, 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 your forgiveness, the, the, the debt is totally wiped out. It's covered in, it's not white out, it's red out. It's covered in the blood of Christ. I'm free. But here's the last thing. You have been freed from Satan himself, from his power, by Christ's defeat of all the spiritual forces of evil. And I don't think we appreciate that. And I don't think we ponder that enough. Here's the first thought here is that he disarmed the spiritual forces. Verse 15a. He took their, he took their weapons away. Hebrews 2.14 says this, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same, that through death, look at this, he might, what's that word, church? Destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. What does that say? What did Jesus do through, through his cross work to the devil? He destroyed him. That is amazing when you think about it. The devil has no more jurisdiction over you. By the way, you know how he got his jurisdiction? Get your seatbelt on? Yeah, through the law. 
through the law. That's what really gave him his teeth. Now, when Adam sinned, he gained, he gained jurisdiction into mankind. But boy, when the law came and now it was legal in writing in stone, that's where all those lists of, of debts were written. But that's been taken out of the way. And he destroys the power of the enemy. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says this, Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. <laughs> What's, what's it saying? If Satan knew what, what was really happening in the crucifixion, he would have never crucified Jesus. He would never have motivated that anger. He would have done everything he could do to keep that man off that cross. But it was too late. By the time he realized what was going on, it was over. And Jesus had won the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Amen? Woo! He disarmed the spiritual forces, but he didn't just disarm them. He didn't just destroy them, it, it gets worse. He triumphed over them in the cross. Verse 15b. Here's what it says. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What does that mean? It means he made fun of them. He mocked these powers that these false teachers were saying you had to embrace Jesus is mocking them. John 12, 31 says this, Now is the judgment of this world. Oh, I love this. Now the ruler of this world will be what? Cast out. He's disarmed. So Paul uses a word here. The word translated triumph is the word in that Greek for a victory parade. Um, in the ancient world, when, the, when a defeated enemy... Uh, was led in a public parade to show how abject their defeat and how total the victory of the conquered, conqueror really was. Do you see the point? The cross has utterly defeated Satan and his servants. And Jesus is literally, listen, he's leading a victory. Oftentimes what would happen is they would take the king of the, of the defeated nation, they would burn his eyes out and strip him naked, tie his hands together and drag him behind the horse of the conquering victor general, naked and blinded, say, this is the guy who thought he could stand up against us. That's the idea. Jesus takes Satan naked and blinded and drags him behind him saying, this is the one who troubled you. This is the one that you, you were indebted to. Look what I have done to him. I have taken him out of the way. He has been destroyed and disarmed, and I have triumphed fully over him through my cross. There's a story that's told of Martin Luther. I think it helps us to see just how much good news is in verse 15. So in a dream, Luther found himself being attacked by Satan. And the devil unrolled a long scroll containing a list of Luther's sins, and he held it out for Luther to see. And when he had reached the end of the scroll, Luther asks the devil, was that all? <laughs> no, came the reply. And a second scroll was brought forth. And after the second, a third came. And then the devil was done. And Luther said, well, you've forgotten something. Quickly, write on each of them. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Satan was accusing and seeking to condemn. And Luther did not say, oh, I'm not a sinner. I'm not guilty. 
No, Luther said the debt is paid. All those things are true. But the debt's been paid. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from every sin. The whiteboard is clean and your accusations simply cannot stick anymore. So the conclusion, sin no longer has power over you by the crucifixion of your old man. You are dead. The old you is dead. There's a new you living inside you. By the way, some of you need to realize the old you is dead. Stop, stop living according to its dictates. The law no longer has power over you to condemn. Some people need to hear that. My dad struggled with that. He was a good Catholic. A lot of guilt in Catholicism because your sins never really fully paid for. And I remember one day talking to him and saying, Dad, you're competing with Christ's finest day. You say, Lord, thank you for the start, but I'll take it from here, which is what Catholicism teaches. And Dad had a hard time ferreting that out of his understanding. But whenever he was brought back to grace, there was a humility and a deep uh, appreciation. I remember I wasn't there, but my sister was there and mom um, when dad was in a hospital and um, he had had his last heart attack and he was pretty much in the emergency room dying. And my mom got so upset, she had said something kind of harsh and, and she said, she just stopped and said, dear God, please forgive me. And dad was not even in his right mind. He was in so much pain and the dementia. My mom said, dear God, please forgive me. He reached over and he patted her hand. He said, Jude, that's what he's there for. That's what he does. And somehow in that good Catholic's life, he came to understand grace. And that the law that my dad was, had broken so treacherously in his life, he realized the law had nothing to say to him because it had poured out its wrath on Christ. And then Satan has no more power over you. So stop giving it to him and stop giving in to him. Amen? And Paul is saying all of this to remind them that we have all that we need when we have Jesus. All of that is a YBH of verse 10. You're complete in Christ. And here's how. The old you is dead. And you have a brand new you resurrected with Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection. That didn't just something that happened for you. Listen, that happened to you. The law that shouts its condemnation and guilt against you has nothing to say to you because everything it has to say, it said to Jesus in your place on the cross. And Satan, who is the one that comes from the outside trying to mess you up, you just need to realize He's a shell of who he used to be. He's defeated, he's naked, and he's blind, and he's totally triumphed over in a cross. He's out of the way. You don't, have to, you don't have to listen to him anymore. How good is our God? Father, we love you. We thank you for your kindness to us today. We thank you for the word of truth that has come through your servant. In Colossians 2, 
And I'm sure that Paul and those Colossian believers and Epaphras were wondering why you would allow these false teachers to come in with their weird heresy of Gnosticism, Judaism, and mysticism. But it's because you knew we would need this sure word of truth today to be reminded that our old man is dead and we need not live according to the dictates of a dead man. And that we have a brand new person living inside of us. At the core of our being, we are one with the Holy Spirit. To remind us that the condemning voice of the law is nothing but an echo of yesteryear because everything the law has to say in condemnation of us, it said to Jesus, and there's nothing left. And that Satan, that great enemy, is a defeated one. He is cast out. And may that give us the boldness to cast him out of every aspect and corner of our own life and to live fearlessly bold in that sinless reality and refuse to be molested by the enemy of our soul because all he has is bark. His teeth has been removed through the cross. May we rejoice in this truth and may Holy Spirit, you aid us in applying it to our everyday life in Christ's name. Amen. Courtney's going to come.